How many people know to go forward, sometimes you've got to go backwards? Anyone realise that? To truly go forward, you've got to go backwards. You know, when I started to play golf, I taught myself how to play golf. And I developed some bad habits. Anyone play golf here? Anyone taught yourself how to play golf? There's some pretty ugly looking swings out there, right? You know, it's like, how does that happen, man? Mine isn't as ugly as that, but I taught myself some bad habits because being a sports person, I was reasonably good hand-eye coordination. So I, yeah, I could hit the ball, hit the ball reasonably well and, you know, could hit it reasonably straight some days. Other days I could even draw the ball, which means to take the ball as a right-hander from the right to the left and it gets a spin on the ball. The ball bounces and rolls and... On the odd time, I sort of rate myself could be on the PGA Tour. <laughs> you know, giving it the best with the best. Yeah, that's right. I told you, he's a great God and he can do amazing things. But over the years of playing golf, I've developed some bad habits. And so I thought, you know what? I wanted to get my, my handicap down to a single figure because it was always sort of sat around about 14, 14, 16, which isn't bad, but I wanted to try and get it under 10. I wanted to get to 9. And so I went and got a lesson. Worst thing you can do. <laughs> Get with a professional or a coach who teaches you actually how to swing a golf club correctly. Man, it messed me up because what's so natural, the bad habits that you've taught yourself, he then looks at it and goes, yeah, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And then he started to tweak and shift the way I was playing golf, which is, feels so weird because now you're trying to do something that's so not authentic. And so the hands move, the head move, where the position of the ball moves. You've got to swing from your hips. It's not a shoulder, Greg. You know, I was so shoulder, it was all like whack, trying to hit through the shoulders. You hit, you hit from your hips and you swing through. And it's one motion. So my game was terrible. For ages, well, I tried to implement this new way. And there were times when I felt like just going back to the old. You know, because it's like, man, I'm hitting the ball there, there, there. I yelled out four all the time, you know. Shunk, it's going that way. But I had to persevere and persevere and persevere and try and put into place. And I would coach myself. Then we said, put your head down, head down, hands in front, hands in front. Swing through, swing through. Keep your head down looking at the ground. Don't look up quickly. Count one, two. Now look up. Hey, it's going straight. <laughs> and so I had to go backwards to go forwards. And so often in faith, we can jump out of the blocks and we're 150 miles down the road and God goes, hey, come back. You missed something really important. No, no, it's okay. It's good. I'm into this stuff. I know, but you missed something because your technique's wrong. How you're doing it's not quite right. It's more of you than it is of me. So come back because I need to come back before we go forward. Anybody relate? My golf game has improved from actually going to see the professional and taking on board what the professional said and not trusting in myself. Takes a bit of humility for that, doesn't it? It actually, at one point, it fights against what I said, the natural, because my natural is I want to do what's natural to me. And he's going, yeah, but Greg, if you want to get down to a single figure, what's natural to you won't get you there. You need to hear 
and implement what I'm trying to teach you through discipline. It improved my golf game. Took a while, but we're there. So, this is the title of my message because last week I painted this picture for us. Who was here last week? What did I talk about? Shout it out. What was last week's message? Christ in us. <laughs> oh, Kyle, your timing, brother. <laughs> I had them there. Oh, I don't know. What are you talking about? Oh, that was a week ago. <laughs> Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I painted this massive picture of what that really is and what that is to be in reality in an actualized position where the Christ in us, literally building himself within us, creates the hope of glory. God is trying to get the glory back into the church. How's he going to do that? Through building Christ in us. For Christ is the glory of God. So as Christ is built in us, the glory of God is being formed within us, which then releases that glory into the earth. That is a vision worth laying one's life down to have a great life in Christ. Not a good life, a great, overflowing, abundant life. Yes? That's the goal. That's the vision. Jesus said, or uh, it says in Psalms, I think it says that without a vision, people perish, they wander. You know, I've always said they wander, which means without the ability to see in the Spirit, we'll actually find our own vision and we'll wander from the true vision. We'll wander from what God really has for us because we can't see what God has for us. So we'll actually create our own vision and our own goal and our own destiny, which will have us arriving at the wrong point. So much of that is individualistic and God's not into individualism at all. At all. That spirit, which is called self, which I'm going to talk about today, needs to be obliterated in us. So I've called this coming to the end of one's self. Pam just went, oh sorry, Pam, and went, ouch. Have you come to the end of your Self. You were born into self. Self lives in you. And I hope you can see this as two identities. There is self and the Christ in you. Okay? So when I say self, yes, think of yourself, but also see it as a separate identity to the Christ in you identity. Does that make sense? Paul said, it's not me, it's the sin in me that has me sinning. It's not the Christ in me, it's the sin in me. So self, which we are born with, which we're infected with, which we're poisoned with, wants to live. And it wants to have its way, and it wants to dictate everything about the life it's been given. You tracking? So self will end up telling God how it's all going to go. Self will say, no, that's not the way. This is the way. Because self wants to preserve itself. 
self does not want to die. You'll never come into the fullness of life in Christ until self is broken into pieces. It can't exist and you come into the fullness because it will dictate God's word. It will hear it through self and go, no, and will reject it. And it very much can be God going, no, this is me. You're rejecting me. And self goes, no, that's not you, God. That's whatever, but it's not you. So I reject what actually is God and walk away. Do you read about that in here? Have you seen it in your own life? To discover that the way that you thought was right was actually wrong. And it led you to a point of death. But death isn't the end in God because God takes dead, broken people and he builds them back up again when they get to the end of that realization. 1997, I came to the end of self. Okay? So I know the position I'm speaking from is a living testimony of having that obliterated in 1997. It took me nine years. Well, it took me 29 years. But for when God started coming to me when I was 20, it took me nine years to come to the end of one's self. And I'd love to tell you it was my amazing wisdom that took me there. I'd love to tell you that I woke up one day and had the revelation that, oh, Greg, you're living for yourself. You need to live for God. I'd love to paint myself up and tell you how well I did, but no, that's not the story. The story goes something like this, that God came and was trying to, and he was, he was revealing himself, but I wanted to live. And he helped me out of five jams powerfully, but I still wanted to live because self was still living and well in me. You see, what he did was external of me, but it didn't come in me. And self got to the point where it's so broken into pieces that it actually then screamed. And when God heard the scream of the broken self, God came and filled the broken vessel. But he actually a brand new vessel because the vessel was smashed into a brillion pieces. And that's the day that life began. And I'd had signs and wonders. I'd seen lights in my room. I'd been healed of a rash in my body. I'd seen my dad healed of cancer. But it wasn't enough to kill self. The spirit of pride that rages in man that was in me was massive. And I considered myself quite a nice, good person. I did things for people. I wasn't selfish. But that didn't matter. None of that matters. See, self is self. And when it comes to push comes to shove, it will live for itself. And it needs to be broken into pieces, not piece, pieces, never to be put back together again. So then the new vase or vessel can be filled to an overflowing, and there is no rejection. See, there is no stopping. There is no, 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 no. It's just, here I am. Fill. And if that's you, I'm going after you. I want you more than I want life itself. So where are you at on the journey of coming to the end of you? So you can have Christ in you. Now he's in you, but he wants to be built in you. To the fullest measure. See, he saved us from itself, hasn't he? 
But ultimately, the church can just be covered by God and still not have God abiding fully within them and them in Him. So then the life of God comes out of the church. So I want to look at that today. And I want to start by Mark 1.15. And I want to give you two absolute statements. Two absolute statements. Then I'm going to give you a third absolute statement. And this is a message of life, okay? So I want you to remember this, that this, what you're hearing today, is an absolute message of life. Because you know, when you see that, you can think that's a negative message. It's not. It's an absolute positive, life-giving message. Okay? So everything in God is life, isn't it? He says you need to lose one's self if you want to find what? Life. And God is so for us, so he covers us with his love that you could find the full life in the Son and the Son in you. So please do not hear this as negative, for it is not. It is life changing. It's the greatest day of my life in 1997 at 10 a.m. in the morning to be that obliterated. I don't want to go back there because it was hell. But it became a great day of life. And I learnt the lesson to not go back there. I hope you are too. I hope you're not making the same decisions and getting the same outcome when we don't need to. So Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. Read that to yourself. Say, the time is fulfilled. Yeah, that was really... With gusto. <laughs> Hear the word. Yes. The time is fulfilled, right? So it is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn, repent, have your whole life redirected, get a brand new life with a brand new way of thinking, and be fully convinced, believe, in the gospel. Why? Because the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. So when he turned up, bingo, it's on. So often we're still praying for stuff that is. Wondering why we're not in. Because our experience isn't it, so then we have to redirect our prayer life and our thoughts. No, just because your experience is one thing doesn't mean it is not already is. What we have to do is come into what is and not let our feelings or our emotions or what we think is dictate our lives. So often we're living from lack. Oh, when I get to heaven, I'll have this life. No, it's now. See, it's so easy to believe that, isn't it? Oh, it's in the future. No, it is now. You see, when you realize it's now, you've got to maybe go backwards to go forwards. See, when you realize someone's saying, no, 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 this abundant life is today for you, then you're like, oh, well, if I'm not in that, I might have to go and check how I came in and look at the start. Because if the start's not right, then my end will be distorted. 
And if I don't have the end sorted out, then my start's distorted. And if my end and my start are distorted, then my middle is really distorted. Because Christ in you and I is the hope to which the world will see his glory. So how glorious are the lives that we're currently living? And you have to ask these big questions, these why questions that very few people want to ask. They just, will you just go away? It's like the mosquito. Especially at night when the lights are out, eh? And you can hear it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Did you get it? Turn the light on. No. You want it gone. Because it creates an agitation. And it creates, it's supposed to. This is what the word's supposed to do. It's supposed to agitate you a little bit to get you aware of something. Why? Because it wants to bring you into a full life. It wants to build you that you would be an overcomer, that you would be more than a conqueror, not through your ability or your strength, but through his word, his power. Why? So you can stand there and go through trials and go through tribulations and be the glory of God to shine that people would see. How on earth are you able to go through what you're going through? Because I have someone in me that is building me with his word in me and it's defining that. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you want to know him? Hmm, don't know. What's it going to cost? Everything. What are you going to have to do? Die to oneself. Yeah, no. <laughs> you almost had me at hello. But then you opened your mouth and told me what it would be like if I wanted it truly. And I went, yeah, no. Because I want to hold on to self because I still see value in self. And I'm still really quite a good person compared to Greg Skelly. If I compare myself to that, brother, I'm doing fine, man. And God would say, yeah, but you're not comparing yourself to Greg Scully. You're comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, actually, compared to Jesus Christ, I'm still doing okay. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of self that still we need to work on, eh, Greg? And he's saying here, and he gives us an absolute statement saying, you know, the time is fulfilled. I arrived. I'm here to build my church. That was 2,000 years ago. There's been 2,000 years since Jesus said this. So if you look at the church over 2,000 years, and we track it through history... <laughs> No, thank you for your patience. <laughs> thank you for your grace. I'm so grateful that he is him and he loves, but I'm not to abuse that love. I'm to know that love so that love builds Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I literally walk in the manner in which Jesus walked the earth because as Jesus was, I am to be. Man, that is a great life. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, it'll come up, I am the bread of life. I am your food source, man. I'm not just coming here to feed 5,000 people. I am your food source of life. I am to be the resource of your life. You're not to work for food. You're not to work for clothing. You're not to work for the basic essentials of life. 
it's me. I know you need them, but if you work for them, you will not be seeking first me, for you are still seeking self. Self preservation you are seeking. But God, I need food on my table to eat. I know, but who is your food? And where are you getting your food from? Because you can eat physical food and not be changed at all. He says, but what does he say? I am the bread of life. Man cannot live on the physical. He must live on the spiritual manner, me, and he must drink of me. And then what? Here's the absolute statement. You will not hunger and you will never thirst. He does not muck around. He gives you absolute statements of what it means to be in him so you can live. And that scares us because when we look, we go, You'll not hunger and you'll never thirst. He says, do you know me? And do you want to know me? Do you want that? So if it's not your reality today, that's fine. But do you want it to be? Because it can be. Because I'm so for it to be, for I'm so for you. For I want you to be the demonstration of me upon the earth. But see, if you've raced off and you're trying to win the world without having this life being built, you really don't have much to bring. And you wake up and get to a point where you're actually running now on empty fumes. And like a car does that's running on its empty fuse, it starts to seize the engine and all the rubbish gets filtered through the motor and it actually can kill the motor. Well, that can be the church. So yes, we are to go and have a message and be a witness, but we're to go so full that we can go and go and go and go and go and go and go. Why? Because Jesus promised us that he who believes in him as the scriptures, his living word declares, from them will flow rivers of living water. There's another absolute statement of truth that the church is to receive and live from. You see, this isn't God a modified life, guys. This is a brand new life in Christ, in the church, the hope of glory. So these are absolute statements So what do we notice about these passages? The question, they are absolute statements of truth. One plus one equals two. That is an... (laughs) That side needs radical help. Okay, let's pray right now. Okay, Father. Okay, here we go. One plus one equals hey. Now, 144 times three million equals uh, Jesus. A lot. I just want to read you this, okay? Because one plus one equals two is an absolute, isn't it? See, the world's telling you there are no absolutes, isn't it? And it's trying to destroy, the demonic realm is trying to destroy the absolutes and it's achieving its goal really well. And it will do because it's prophesied it's going to happen. 
So the church needs to be built because you can't change prophecy. It already is foretold. This world is perishing. It is collapsing. The spirit of Babylon is going to break apart. And we have to be ready for when it happens now. You can't change it. Okay? We try. We think if we have big enough faith, we can change God's prophetic word. Let's change God's outcome. Sorry, you're going to deny me, Peter. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Did he? Yes. Why? Because God told him it was going to happen. God tells you something's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not on our job to try and change what God said. It's to come into what God said. So when it kicks off and it's kicking off, we stand there and the hope of glory that's in us shines out of us and a lost world that knows something's kicking off looks and goes, you're so different from me. Your hope is not in your work because we've lost our jobs. Your hope is not in your marriage because we've lost our marriages. Our hope is not in our kids. It's not in our sport. It's not what's your hope in because you're not falling apart like everyone else. We are to be set apart from the world. And it's fully possible because he said, I build my church. I'm going to build Christ in you. And the hope of that life, you're going to shine my glory. Woo. Listen to this. I'm going to read this. Christ literally being built in us, the hope of glory, is a kingdom of God message. It's way more than being reconciled from our sin and back into a right relationship. As good as that is, that's the start. It's about living our lives today with Christ's literal life operating in and through us so we are fully capable of living as Jesus did. That's what his word says. He's expecting us to walk in the manner to which he walked. We have to know and I don't mean know about, I mean know, Jesus accomplished everything as a man. Okay? So he was fully God, fully man, but everything he did, he did as a man. Why did he do that? To model, to show who? The church asked what's possible when a man or a woman is what? Lost their life. And is fully surrendered and submitted under who? God. And allows God to reign where? In the church. We want God to reign here, but he ain't reigning here. We go change those horrible politicians, change the government. God's like, I want to change my people. No, no, don't do that. No, 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 no. We're already changed. Really? You see, kingdom of God starts reigning here. Why? So his life in you can come from forth from you. So he shows us, he does everything as a man. He went through the crucifixion as a man. But he's full of power because the Holy Spirit came upon him, didn't it? He's full of the Holy Spirit and power, Acts 10 teaches me. So everything he did, everything he spoke, every miracle he did, he did as a man, anointed and under the authority of heaven, because he knew who he was, he knew his father, and he knew the authority his father gave him. The Bible says everything he taught was not his own words, it was the father's. So can you see, if he's building sons unto glory, he's building 
them into the image of himself. And we've only believed that, when I say we, I mean the church, as a principle and an abstract concept in our minds, and God wants it in our hearts. He wants the literal life of his son in us so we can actually do what his son did and more. Okay? This life is not to stay as a prophetic mystery, but it is to become our living experience. So it is no longer as prophetic, but our reality. Should I read that again? This life is not to stay as a prophetic mystery. You have been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Granted to know. Have revelation of the mysteries, so they're no longer mysteries. What is the mystery that I spoke last week that Paul said he had been empowered to teach? Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it was a mystery. It was hidden to the prophets of old and they were looking for when it would be revealed and Paul was chosen by God, empowered by God to administer the mystery that was in Christ from the beginning of time, but it would come forth 2,000 years before our 2,000 years ago and then would be declared so the church could come into what Paul had come into through the power of revelation. You can't speak of this unless you've gone through the process. It's what gives you the authority and the power to speak of it because you don't know it. So that's the pattern of heaven. And so Paul was declaring 2,000 years ago, the mystery Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is what I'm saying today. So it's not new, but is it known to you? Is it your life? And is it becoming your life every day? That's the question. And I released this this morning. God said, tell my people that they are to seek truth, not comfort. Tell my people they must be seekers of truth and not retirement. Not a good life that's nice and easy and comfortable, but seek truth. For then when you have truth, you will be free. People seek freedom. Don't seek freedom. Seek truth and you'll be free. And truth isn't a principle, is it? It's a person. So if you seek the person, seek truth, then you have the life of the person that you seek. For Christ in you is the truth, the hope of glory. And he says, I build and I build and I build. So how do we come into this life? That's the question, isn't it? This is the starting. And this is where we may today have to actually go backwards. Remember my golf analogy? To be able to swing properly, to be able to hit the ball the way I need to hit the ball for it to go where it needs to go, I needed to go backwards. And you too may need to go backwards today, but it's going forwards. Okay? So by going backwards, you're going forwards. Just making sure, because the one plus one thing, that was a bit of... Anyway. I love you. Okay. One must fall or have fallen on the rock and been broken into pieces. One must fall or have fallen on the rock and been broken into pieces. I'm going to read Luke 20, verse 17. Luke 20, 17. Just feel the Holy Spirit saying to me, 
ask the people when they come across scriptures that they don't understand, what do they do? Do you quickly just quickly flick the pages? <laughs> or when you read something you don't like, what do you do? Or you don't understand? Do you just sort of go, oh, that's weird. You see, there are opportunities to seek God. There are opportunities to go, hmm, what are you trying to say? He goes, oh, that's a good start. And I'm the revealer of all things. So seek me and I'll reveal that within you. So then you have the living word being revealed in you, the Christ. And this is one of those things that we can glibly just bowl right over or it can apprehend us. So Luke 20, 17. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? Okay. So Jesus, so often, more often than not, he wasn't preaching new stuff. He was preaching from the old. And he was bringing for what? It's not really old. We shouldn't even use that word. He was speaking from the scriptures. Okay? So he was bringing forth what was in him from the scriptures into their present. Okay? So he's saying this, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. So he's speaking to the Israelite people. Everyone who falls on that stone, so everyone is not just Jews, is it? Everyone is us, isn't it? Right. Gentiles, Jews alike, every single person who falls on that stone, what stone? The stone that you guys are rejecting. Will be, everyone say will be, broken to pieces. So if you fall on the rock, you will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Do you know it's speaking to us, not just the Israelites. Everyone who falls upon the Christ will be broken to pieces. I want to show us just a little clip. There's no audio with this clip. This is what it looks like. You don't put that back together again, do you? No. You go get a new one, don't you? You go get a new bottle. So, have we fallen on the rock and been broken like that? First observation from this passage is Jesus is making another absolute statement. Will be. Can you see the tension of why we might need to go forward before we go backwards? Because what happens if you haven't been broken to pieces? Self hasn't been broken to pieces and it starts to move. What's it still going to do when it's here? It's going to try war, but what's it going to do? It's still living for self, aren't you? You're still living for you. So when you're asked to live above you, you can't. Why? Because it costs too much. When you're asked a question like this, how much of your time is spent laying your life down for other people? You probably go, what? 
What are you talking about? Well, 1 John 3.16 says, you'll know them by the way they lay their lives down for everyone else. You see, self doesn't do that. Lust doesn't live like love. It can't. Self thinks of itself first. Its first place priority is not to seek first Jesus and his kingdom. Its first place priority is to seek itself and to live for itself. So then it lives from that position and it judges everything from that position as to whether and how much it's going to cost it. So when that self is asked to give and serve, it goes, well, hold on. Let me determine whether and how much and if I ever do give. Oh, you mean, oh, that means I've got to give up that Wednesday night. No, sorry, I play hockey on a Wednesday night. Football, cards, Monopoly, <laughs> whatever. Oh, no, sorry, not available. Okay. What about uh, giving, a, no, giving a finance? <laughs> You're having to laugh. I barely got enough to cover my own expenses. You see, it judges everything through itself and then it determines whether it will give or not based on itself. That's not kingdom. That's earthly. That's still temporal. Now, God's loving that person and covering that person, and God is so for that person to do a work within them. But if the spirit of pride, self, which is what it is, is not obliterated, it still lives. And it will determine, and that's why the scripture is full of scriptures that say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. You see, we're supposed to be, and God is expecting us to be, as we mature, able to live like the Christ. That's the standard. Not being better than Greg, my brother, or Greg being better than me, but being able to live as Christ. So you can see why me and Greg are walking together, encouraging one another, partaking of Christ, so we can look at the standard and go, you know what? We're not there yet, but our Father loves us. He's gracing us. He's empowering us. We're encouraging one another, and we're holding each other's burdens, Galatians, what we're taught to do, and we're doing this together. But self goes, I ain't got time for any of that because I'm too busy living for me. I got this. I want that. I want that. I want that. And I'll give you my leftovers, God, if you're lucky. Mm. See, it's an absolute statement, isn't it? The second thing, the spirit of pride, our foundation gets shattered, our foundation, the one you're born with. Greg, are you saying you can receive Jesus and not have the foundation of pride shattered? Yes, absolutely 100% you can. You see that through everyone's life in the Bible. And then you see them come to the end of themselves and the life they're now able to demonstrate and live. This is the pattern of heaven, guys. There is a death and then there is a life. And a dead man stays dead. Ever seen a dead man get up unless Jesus raises them? No, they stay dead. You're dead. Stay dead. It's quite scary if you get up. <laughs> unless Jesus raises them. So a dead person stays dead. What's baptism about? 
death. To who? Self. And what happens when you get out of the water? New life. So there must be death for there to be new life. If you want the abundant life, are you still living? So he's saying here, our foundation. See, they reject the cornerstone, which is what? And Christ is our foundation. So they're rejecting a new foundation. What foundation is still living in the Israelites? Their foundation, which is what? Self, which is pride. So they reject the greater foundation coming in, smashing their foundation and building them upon the rock. Okay, so our spirit of pride, our foundation gets shattered when we fall on the rock, not chipped or cracked. You may have fallen and only had a chip. And so you got the polyfill out and you got the chip and you put it back on and you polyfill it all together. Oh, I'm still intact. Whew, you almost had me there. I had that. Whew, that was a bit scary. I was, I'm still in control. Thank you, Jesus. I'm still in control. He's going, yeah, that's not a good thing, Simnel. Oh, I thought you I was going to relinquish. Or you get cracked when you fall. You see, you can say, I'm not who I was because I've received to a measure, but I never got shattered. And so I'm living this life out and ultimately I am still on the center and the cornerstone and the throne of my life. I am still the one on my throne, rich young ruler. It's me. That needs to be absolutely shattered. And that is life, not death, if you can hear what I'm saying. It's death to you and life in Christ. So you walk. Who's this? Jacob. Who wrestled with the God of the universe and got smashed. He was the most pride-filled, arrogant manipulator. But before he was, God called him to be a son that was holy and blameless. So he started in the wrong place, didn't he? From who he really was. So he came into life not knowing who he was and was living out Jacob. And Jacob was a dysfunctional human being that was living for self, that was manipulating everything for the benefit of self. But God said, I've called you for greatness in my kingdom, in my will. So today I come down and I wrestle with you and I engage with you and I pin you down and I hit you and then you're altered now. Why? Because your spirit of pride just got broken, got shattered. You get up and now you walk with a limp to remember humility now got birthed. And by the way, let me give you a new name. Your name is no longer Jacob, it is Israel, meaning the one who wrestles with God. And the man lived differently because the spirit of pride got dealt with that day. Mm. Come to the end of oneself because our foundation gets obliterated and you get a new foundation. 
Our entire root system is ripped out and replaced with a brand new root system. Let me just read you Colossians real quick. I'll give you the final point. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith as you were instructed. As you were instructed. See, there's a way that we're to come into as the instruction, as it's written, and overflowing with gratitude. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Our entire root system is to be ripped out and replaced with a brand new root system so we can walk in him and be built up in him so we can live as him. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The last observation is the spirit of pride rejects not only God, but the way he does things. You see, it says the builders rejected the foundation, the chief cornerstone. Builders, what do they do? They build. <laughs> not rocket science. <laughs> so builders build. What did they build? What did the religious Pharisees, the Jewish people build? The counterfeit, didn't they? They had a counterfeit version. So Jesus comes along and doesn't fit into their counterfeit. He's never going to. He'll never fit into your counterfeit. Builders build things. If the builder isn't smashed and then allowed to be defined through the smashing by God, they will still build stuff in the name of God. They were building in the name of the God they knew. Just wasn't quite the God that Jesus was. See the difference? It's called empire building, not kingdom building. So if the church is to have this life that I'm prophesying into the atmosphere and it's a full life and it's able to live like Christ and the church has been going for 2,000 years, what do you think the problem might be if we're not seeing it as we're called to see it because it's been 2,000 years now for the church to actually get its act together and actually start to be the demonstration of God en masse I'm talking what do you think the problem is? Or who do you think the problem is? Right. So if the problem is us, but we're a loved problem, set apart for greatness, like your own children, are we prepared to truly look in the mirror and go, there's the vision of what I'm called to be. Here's where I am. I need to start changing through the power of God. So I need to be a seeker of truth, not seeking life of comfort, not seeking looking after me and I'll get round to that stuff, not seeking the benefit and the welfare of my wife and my kids and everyone else, but I need to be a seeker of God, truth, if that is to be that. You see, they rejected the cornerstone. 
Now, in theory, I don't know everyone here today and I don't know your transition, but you may actually, in fact, have rejected the cornerstone and think that you're actually born again when you're not. I don't know. That's for him to sort out for you to go to him at. But let's say we all have received the cornerstone and we've either been broken into pieces, chipped or shattered. Let's, we're in one of those options. The chipped and the shattered can still reject God's truth because the spirit of pride is still living. And so when the pride, God comes and its spirit meets flesh, what does the Bible say in Galatians? Galatians 5 about spirit and flesh. See, this is why, guys, we need to know our word. If we don't need to know our word, you're just believing in stuff I'm saying. If you know the word through revelation, you know the picture that's painted. Otherwise, it's all a little bit like, well, I don't know. Shall I read you what it says? Galatians 5.17, For the flesh, the spirit of pride, sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The flesh wants to have its will. The self, flesh, what did I say? It will determine itself, and it will view everything through itself and then come up with its conclusion. On a Tuesday, self might go, oh yeah, I'll do this. And on a Wednesday, it goes, I won't do this. And it can even do the things it says, yes, through self. You see, we think humility is washing people's feet. And we see people serving people, and we go, oh, they're so humble. They may not be. They might be the most prideful people on the planet, just fulfilling selfish self. I've worked with so many people in the body of Christ that they look, self, they look humble. They're not. They're selfish. Because when you press on what I'm talking about, it manifests itself. Are you really here to serve the Lord and his people or are you self-serving yourself because you have a gift that needs outworking? It can look right and be completely wrong. Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. Who cares? It was you. You, you, you. True self or selfless people have no agenda. Why? Because the spirit of pride has been broken in their lives. They don't come with an agenda. They go, how do you want me to serve you selflessly? I don't come to receive anything. I don't come to get a thank you. I don't come to get a pat on the back. Those are all bonuses, but you don't come looking for any of that. Why? Because Christ in you, the hope of glory, is defining why you serve, how you serve, when you serve. And it's got nothing to do with getting man's thankfulness or acceptance. Why? Because the spirit of pride has been broken into a thousand pieces. It no longer lives. But those that have fallen and been chipped or shattered, that sorry, or cracked, that spirit still exists. So self is right at the forefront. Let me read you, give you an example of a man by the name of Peter. Have you heard of this man? Only the guy that Jesus was going to use after he'd been dealt to his spirit of pride. Did Peter find this place I'm talking about, do you think? Where did he find it? Where did Peter find the end of his own life? Can't hear. 
Still can't hear. Before Christ was crucified? At the cross or before that? Before that, when he said, I can go with you. And in the moment he's tested, he realized he can't go with him, correct? And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. The spirit of pride that was in that man got found out. This is Peter. This is the one Jesus said, you know what? You're going to deny me, but. And he gave him a but. You know, he says, I give you a but too. You will do this, but here's who I'm calling you to be. Here who I see you to be. But at the moment, Peter, you're still living like this, but this is who I'm calling you into. But guys, there's gotta be a transaction, Peter, between here and here. You don't, can't just go, oh, there's going to be a death and a life. And unless you're prepared to go through the process that I modeled, Jesus said, you will never come into the life that I called you for. Peter comes to this place. But let me give you an example of the spirit of pride that's still living in the man. Mark 8, 29. And he continued by questioning them. But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. So he's got a revelation of who the Christ is. How did he get that revelation? Through his Father, the Spirit. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He forgot to write Judas in there. His disciple and be killed, and after three days rise again. There's the message of hope, isn't it? You see, the spirit of pride never hears the word because it's not listening for the word. Why? Because it's listening through its own filter, and it only hears what it wants to hear. You see, you must receive a word that smashes and crashes that pride. For it to truly hear the word, because it's not listening for the word. It can't hear the word. It's filtering everything through its self-filter. Don't like that. No, that's not right. Maybe, I don't know. Wonder what's happening for lunch today. See, self is consumed with itself. It's constantly living, guys. It thinks. Deny. So it needs to get dealt to once and for all. So he says, in three days, here's the good news, rise again. He was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) If you don't want a a better example of the spirit of pride, self-operating, this has got to be it. Man rebuking God. Of course, you've never done that, have you? I know I haven't. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, but turn. <laughs> it's funny though, isn't it? <laughs> it's like you got such a good deal when you got me, God. It's like if you do this, I'll do this. He must be going, "Wow, that's such a good deal." If you, oh, I'll live for you. If, 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 yeah. Come on, come on, you know. 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. No, we're not prideful. Nah. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, this is pretty strong words, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Your mindset is from the kingdom of darkness, is what he's saying. You are not Satan, but your wisdom, your thought that you've had that's come out of your mouth that's still in you is from the demonic realm. So no, get behind me. I am the Lord of your life. Let me reign in your heart and your mind so you do not act like that. Allow me to break you into pieces. Allow my word to come and break you into a trillion pieces that you do no longer live and you've come to the end of your life. Because there is no life in an old life trying to get modified. There is only life in a brand new life because the old life has been dealt with. That's the gospel. And that causes offense to those who are still trying to live. But to those who have come to the end of themselves and they can hear, they receive it with joy. Why? Because they realize that there is no life in self. It took me nine long years to figure that out with a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of offense to other people and myself. And by the grace of God only that I stand and deliver this message through the testimony of the power of how God can take a broken person and bring them to life through having the spirit of pride smashed, shattered, dealt with once and for all. And so then it just becomes about having the mind fully renewed, but there's a humility to receive and a hunger and a thirst to receive what is of my Father. Even if I don't understand it when I hear it, I go after it because I know He is good. And I come from that place to which Paul said, I am the worst sinner of all, but I don't live there for I know I am a son of God. But that defines this today. And if I don't know that, it's very hard to come into that because that shell needed to be smashed and broken with for that to become my reality. And that is a narrow gate that brings abundant life. But we can look at the narrow gate and think, I don't fit in there. I don't fit. That's right. You don't. I stays on the side, that side of the gate. And now there's an ability and a strength, and a power to live and to grow as one is called to. Matthew 5 verse 3 says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where is the kingdom? And wants to come through us. So blessed are those who have been shattered from self and now have the spirit of humility within them. Theirs is the kingdom life. 
Do you know the first beatitude defines all the other nine? Who can tell me what another beatitude is? Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, peacemakers get killed for trying to make peace. If the spirit of pride doesn't go anywhere near that, because it's trying to maintain itself. So it doesn't go into enemy territory, meaning here and there, and declare truth, because it's too afraid of getting killed. But see, the spirit of humility doesn't care about that because it left its old life behind, and this is a brand new life. So what is another beatitude? Pure in spirit, for they will see the Lord. What's your vision like? There's so much to see. Are we blind? When there's so much to see. I've given you the spirit to see and to be granted to know all the mysteries in the kingdom. You see, man, the institutionalized spirit needs to be smashed on the earth. That the church is painted as the church. Church of God's people, the institution must be dealt with. God's been dealing with it here for 10 long years and smashing it and building kingdom people, not institutionalized people who just turn up to services and sing songs and prayer, but there's no transformation. Coming to a building and a service is not being the church. Being changed is being the church. Being able to live as Jesus is the church. And the church has built this institution and said, come along and fill the house, and that's what it means to be the church. No, it doesn't. Just because we come along to a building and sing songs does not make us these people. There's nothing wrong with gathering together. We're called to gather together, hear the word, and be changed and transformed through the hearing of the living word. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's your hunger and your thirst level like for Christ today? See, Christ in us, the hope of glory, creates a hunger and a thirst. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't get enough of Him. I could talk for hours about Christ. And then you want to keep talking. Why? Because He is the food source of life. It's eternal. It never runs dry. It's not boring. He's not boring. Boring is talking about holidays. Boring is talking about the weather. Boring is talking about football. Boring is talking about my marriage and my kids. Boring, boring, boring. Compared to the eternal weight of glory food. Please hear me. I'm not saying talking about my wife is boring and my wife is not boring. She is not boring. She is colourful, vibrant, sexy. They got a roar. <laughs> but compared to chewing and eating and drinking him, can't compare it. Why? Because the old life got shattered and broken, and the spirit of humility wants Christ. I'll give you these scriptures. I won't read them out. Proverbs 22 4. This all talks about humility and what humility brings. So once the spirit of pride has been shattered and dealt with, the spirit of humility, spirit-led humility, not false humility, not a man-made counterfeit humility through action. I'm talking about a true inner building work that does come out in action, but it's not defined by an action. Okay, Proverbs 22, 4. Psalm 34, 18. 
Psalm 25, 8 and 9. Psalm 51, 16, 17. And Isaiah 57, 15. Matthew 5, 3 is the one I just quoted to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Proverbs 22, 4. Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 25, 8 to 9. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. And Isaiah 57, verse 15. They all talk about the power of humility because there's a transitioning from who I was to now who I am in Christ and the life that brings. Amen? Amen. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So the hope of getting the glory in the earth is Christ being built in the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower them. Think about that. That means no lie, no negative thought. The things we struggle with are dealt with. So the flesh and the enemy has no hold because he's building us. If he builds us, we know who we are in Christ. So we have the power to overcome the flesh and the enemy. In ourselves, those things will take us out. But in Christ, who is our victory, and we overcome through our what? Faith, which is that, but faith. We overcome by our faith, our ability to see what's in God, the eternal, and receive builds in me. So when the storms of life come through the flesh, the enemy, what does this house do? Stands and says, bring it on, whack, whack, whack. What's in me is greater than what's coming at me. So literally, I stand and I'm the demonstration of Jesus on the earth Imagine a thousand of those people. Imagine 5,000. How many Christians are there in the world? Apparently billions. I think there's a lot of institutionalized Christians. How many being built Christians are there in the world that can demonstrate the life that God says, I want you in? A great life. But tell them today that they must let go of themselves. And let me define gifting, calling, purpose, how I do it all. Do you even want to do that? We tell God how it works. This is the role of a prophet. Really? Where'd you get that from? Uh, uh. This is the role of an The evangelist is the classic. What's the role of an evangelist? What's the primary purpose of an evangelist? Equipping the saints. Being connected to an apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. It's not going out there and winning the world. As a primary purpose, it's to raise up an evangelistical people who then go and share the ministry of reconciliation. What's the role of a prophet? Equipping the saints. What's the role of an apostle? 
Equipping the saints. What's the role of a teacher? Equipping the saints. What's the role of a pastor? To visit me in hospital? No, to equip the saints. Primary, number one posture of those giftings is the building of the body, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you honour those giftings? Do you come under those giftings? Do you even understand how God builds the church? Because if you don't, then you're asleep and oblivious to what he's doing because this is why it says this is how I do it, empowered by my Holy Spirit. Can you see why we need to know the word, guys? If we don't know the manual, we're creating our own. Either that or we're doing nothing. And the goal is this. The goal is to be able to minister the love of God to a brother or sister first and a lost world. That the love of heaven would be in the church and that we would be one with the Christ, the Father, the Spirit, and one another. That a lost world would look and know that Jesus was sent for the lost world because we have allowed the Word to do its work and to change us, Christ in us. And look, this is a process, isn't it? We're not this all in one day. But ask yourself, how long was it when you made a commitment to follow Christ? If it was five years ago, track your growth over five years. You may need to go back and ask yourself, is this spirit of pride still living in me, God? You may have to visit the Holy Spirit and say, am I still dictating most of my life? Do I still make every decision about me first? If you do, seek the Spirit, He will show you and ask Him to do a deep work in you that you can be free from you. Because you've got to get free from yourself before you can actually be in freedom. But you can't get free from yourself. He needs to come into you, pierce that posture, smash that posture, releases you from you, empowers you now to live. Oh man, serve without an agenda, love without an agenda. I'm not looking for outcomes and behaviour modifications from others when I love them. I can just love on them. Oh, they smack me in the face and I can love them back. Oh, they want my jacket. Oh, I give them my jacket too. This is awesome. Man, what I can do, put that on, probably a bit big for you. Anyway, <laughs> you want some money, you want some money. I'm free. And the Christ in me is being built before you can't rob me of this. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. I'm sitting with Christ next to his throne. I'm an overcomer. Look at the promises in Revelation. They're mine. It's the indestructible life in Christ in the church. And it's to be our reality. So I'll leave you with that. And I pray you'll seek it with all your heart. For it is for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a great God and you're building great people through the power of your amazing word, the Son and the Son's words, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that he is a person and I pray we would not grieve him and we would not quench him from what he has been sent and commissioned to do, which is to build us. And that we would cooperate with him and not resist or reject him any longer and the work he's come if we are, but we would receive so we can live as we've been created and destined to live.
I thank you that you will complete the work you started in our agreement with you. So may we say yes to what you're doing and not be in fear of what you're doing, but receive together as a body, as one people. In Jesus' name, amen.